Another potentially difficult thing is finding identity beyond sport. And I know we're going to dive into that, but I think a lot of players don't start thinking about that early enough. So I feel for females, they start into whether it's coaching, broadcasting, whatever they're going to do next, they start that process a bit earlier potentially because they know it may happen sooner. But I think it's very important for people to think four or five, six years down the road, what is my contribution going to be to the world? And at some point this is going to end. And I think for NFL players, for example, that can end overnight, sadly. Hi, my name is Prince Daniels Jr. And I'm a former NFL running back, an author and thought leader who lives by the mantra, nothing is impossible unless you truly believe it is. I found the Game Beyond the Game Talk that talk as a place for thought-provoking and inspiring conversations with professional athletes discussing life's transitions. Game Beyond the Game is an ecosystem for professional athletes to cultivate the mindset to discover their overall purpose and vision in the game of life. And now, it's time to talk that talk with your MC, Stan Pearson II, and myself, Prince Daniels Jr. I would like to welcome our guest, uh, Carolyn Moose, who is a former collegiate and professional basketball player who won a gold medal playing for the United States in the Junior Olympics. She lived in France. Ooh la la, that's the extent of my friend. She lived in France for a time where she played professional basketball after completing her BA at Stanford. She later played for the WNBA for the Phoenix Mercury, Miami Soul, and Minnesota Lynx. After retiring, she obtained her MA from USC, where she is now nutritional consultant and personal trainer with a special interest in youth, youth sports, and philanthropy. Thank you so very much for being here, Carolyn. How are you doing this afternoon? Well, thank you so much for having me. And when I heard the mission of everybody collaborating, I couldn't say anything, but yes, I want to be here. I want to give back. And especially, you know, we're in unique times where we're actually disconnected in a lot of ways. So to remain connected is so special to me and to be able to influence young student athletes as well as parents in a positive way is really special. Thank you. So yeah, thank you so very much. Appreciate you making the time. I'll just jump in. And so nutritional consultant and nutrition, you know, what's inspired, uh, let's say your interest and your expertise with with nutrition? Absolutely. So it actually started in sixth grade, if you can believe it for me. I was very tall, as you can imagine. I'm six foot five now. So fun fact, I was 5'11", and I was six foot by the end of sixth grade. So I wanted to become stronger. I had grown so quickly. I grew about three inches every year, and I wanted to put muscle mass on my body so I could be a better athlete. And I have an older brother, and he played football, he played hockey, he was really built, and he would push me around, honestly. We would play in the backyard, and I was like, I can't let this happen anymore. (laughs) So I got in the weight room, I started studying um, bodybuilding, actually, and nutrition, and how I could fuel my body to be a bit stronger. And within two years, I came back, and I actually beat him. He'll remember the story of my freshman year, one-on-one. So um, granted, he's a football player. He's football you know, um, but that was my motivation. Initially, it was for me. Initially, it was um, a little self-focused, you know, because I wanted to be the best athlete I could be. But right. after that, I realized I could help so many other people that wanted to improve their well-being and wanted to improve their personal performance. So extended beyond that to work with pregnant mothers, to work with obese patients, to work with corporate weekend warriors that trying to live a healthier, longer life. And I think the moment you take your internal passion 
and apply it to how can I help people externally and impact the world because of this gift I have to offer, you have found your place. And so for me, there was nothing better. It was an aha moment. And this is going into freshman year. I was pre-med at Stanford. And I realized that I didn't like our healthcare system. Our healthcare system is based on treatment, not prevention. And I'm on the preventative side now. All about holistic nutrition, working out, taking care of your body so you don't have to see the doctor, or at least not see the doctor as often. So again, that's another aha moment. I realized that's where I want to be as far as work and profession and impact. Amazing. Prince, they had some, what was your thought as she mentioned you know, the nutrition kind of where it came from. I feel like you had, you know, you had a thought. Oh, when she said, I wouldn't believe it at sixth grade. No, I, I actually do because usually we, we find our calling early on in life. And once you hear that voice, it's like, it's nothing, nothing stops you from attaining that goal. So um, I think what you're doing is amazing, is wonderful for, for all human beings. I want to start off by saying that, but then women, um, just to be exact, just because, it's we're in that era where we are empowering women and making sure that they understand how powerful they are, how beautiful they are from the inside and inside out. And so I have two girls and I'm going to make sure that I instill that in their DNA or in their mind as well, just to take care of yourself and do the right things to take care of yourself and introduce them to um, beautiful and great coaches like yourself, Carolyn. So. I think that's great. And, you know, growing up, I had male and female role models and coaches that were male and female. I think it's so important because it's a unique experience as a female athlete. You know, we go through things, we mature faster, you know, than the boys. So I was taller than a lot of the boys. You know, I think maturity wise, we we gained traction about two or three years in advance. Mm -hmm. So for me as a female going into camps where there are boys and girls that play co-ed, I do team up with NBA players, for example, and I do a junior NBA or NBA CARES events. And to see the ratio of boys and girls getting more towards 50-50 and co-ed experiences, nothing better. I grew up playing with the boys. You know, in the backyard, I played sports with them. I played flag football actually growing up and hockey and, you know, all those things. And I think it's so empowering for girls to think I can be just as good, if not better, than that boy sitting to my left or right. And, you know, that was my motivation too, was to think, it's limitless. You know, we are pro athletes. You know, you can get paid to play just as the males do. But that being said is we have a lot of strides to make. I'm really proud of the WNBA in the past year. They've definitely emphasized progressions as it, you know, as it pertains to sponsorship deals and compensation. Um, I played year round. So as a pro athlete, as a female, you get two salaries. You know, you play overseas and you play in the WNBA and you're just playing year round. So we do have a lot of sacrifices that some people recognize and some people don't acknowledge. Right. <laughs> and we put a, a lot of effort to make a similar end happen. Um, so I think to empower young girls to tell them, you have so much potential and you have so much ahead of yourself that you can go out and work for and attain if you put your mind to it. Um, mm. And that's a powerful, beautiful thing, for sure. That, that is, that is. Um, could I, what, what are some of the things that a WNBA player um, has to overcome, you know, when it comes to hurdles that you think is much different than the NBA? Because um, we know that certainly about the, the pay disparity um, mm-hmm. that was brought into the light, you know, especially for the women's soccer team. But what are some of the things that you can share um, about that? Yeah, and first and foremost, I respect NBA players. I think we put forth equal effort. I know what it's like being a pro athlete, being on the road, back-to-back games, getting in at 2 or 3 in the morning, odd schedules, 
you name it, I've lived it. So equal respect, you know, it's definitely not a judgment of, hey, they get this, we get that. It's more of a conversational piece to say, hey, we're putting in equal work. You know, we're putting in equal passion. We care about the community. We care about our fans. We want to help kids. We want to be at the camps. So when you have that discussion of equal contribution, I feel there should be equal reward. And essentially it comes down to fan support. And I'm realistic about the business model. You have fan support, you have ticket sales, you have sponsorship deals, you have TV rights, you know, all these things that make up a business. So essentially we need to earn that. You know, every employee needs to earn their following. Every employee needs to earn their support, right, essentially. And so for me, it's a conversation of, okay, if we put forth this effort, we gain the traction, we gain the interest of viewership. At that point, let's discuss equal compensation or contextually equal compensation, you know, relative to the masses and the numbers. Now, ironically, we're in a time during COVID-19 where there are no fans or the fans are now virtual to the extent that we make these virtual experiences is unbiased of gender. You know, males and females alike right now are trying to gain traction the exact same way, which is creating a personality, creating attractiveness beyond the game. You know, we are speaking about beyond the game. And fans follow you for the same reasons, whether you're male or female. They like you, they find you're interesting, they see you work hard, you know, you're a great athlete, you're great on the court, you're great off the court. So those discussions result to me in equal acknowledgement and equal compensation. And the moment someone doesn't put forth as much effort, then that's a discussion of, hey, this person doesn't quite deserve as much. Um, so I think really that's the basis of dialogue at the end of the day. Great, amazing insight, obviously, in discussing like what it means contextually and how do you get to some of those points or have those conversations. So I'm really glad that, that you mentioned that. And going back a little bit, you know, you, you mentioned obviously transition, playing with the boys, playing year round. What are some things in those transitions that maybe just from the outside looking in that people don't even think about or consider that were something you had to work through or overcome? Because we know that that's not easy. Most folks may not believe that or may not understand that, but it's not easy playing year round. It's not easy playing with the boys coming up or those who are older than you and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. I think at the end of the day, you have to love what you do. And that's, again, regardless if you're male or you're female, being a female and playing year-round, you put in a lot more time. I will be honest, playing in, in France, for example, you have two days for seven months straight, which essentially means you're practicing in the morning, you're going back home, you're going back for either a practice or a game six days a week. Um, it's a lot of volume of back and forth. It's a lot of volume on the court. Um, taking care of your body, getting back to what I do in nutrition and fitness and, and really rehabbing and recovering, more importantly, it's so integral because a lot of these players that just play one season, you know, their off season is really time to recoup, be in the pool, be on the bike, doing stuff non-impact. But when you have two back-to-back -back seasons, FIBA and WNBA, I had seven days in between. I landed from Paris, I landed into Miami, and within seven days, we're in training camp. We're going again with two a days. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm good, I'm ready. I've been doing two a days for six months now, you know. Um, but it, it takes a lot of mental fortitude, it takes a lot of passion, and it definitely takes all the right pieces being in place so you take care of your body. Because otherwise, I've seen players get burned out mentally, physiologically get injured um, just because of the sheer volume of commitment. And for me, I love the game. Like, I never burned out. I can say, yeah, there are going to be a few games that are tough here and there because it's just so much travel. But I love the game of basketball. I don't drink alcohol. I don't do drugs. So my body never wore down. Like, I never woke up and hit a wall or, 
you know, I eat right. So I think those things hold a lot of players back because they're not treating the machine the right way. And the machine's never going to work if you're not putting the right fuel in. So I would start there. And then another potentially difficult thing is finding identity beyond sport. And I know we're going to dive into that, but I think a lot of players don't start thinking about that early enough. So I feel for females, they start into whether it's coaching, broadcasting, whatever they're going to do next, they start that process a bit earlier potentially because they know it may happen sooner. But I think it's very important for people to think four or five, six years down the road, what is my contribution going to be to the world? And at some point this is going to end. And I think for NFL players, for example, that can end overnight, sadly. You know, if you have an injury that curtails playing, you know, any more games, you have to think of a backup plan. So I think the more you can build on that alleviates that sense of pressure or alleviates that sense of lack of contribution when things are taken away from you from an athletic standpoint. So you must also you must also be a mind reader because I was certainly going to ask you. You mentioned in terms of taking care of your body and you know not doing any drugs, not drinking alcohol. Yep. How, how has that been difficult? And also ask like how important is that you know to make sure that you want to be pristine, not just on the field or on the court, but off the field on the court. And what inspired that that particular mindset to decide, hey, I'm not putting those things in my body. Yeah, that's a great question. For me, it started early and it was twofold. Um, I personally started studying nutrition and bodybuilding and, and being the best athlete I could be, as I mentioned previously in sixth grade. And one of those chapters I read was on drugs and alcohol. I'm the kind of person type A, if I read something and there's truth to it, validity, done and done. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm never going to drink. I'm good. Um, you know, on top of that personal experience, you know, I think kids start drinking sadly in high school. I do talk to high schoolers about these issues. Um, but a friend of mine was killed by a drunk driver. I was not on the trip, um, but he excellent athlete, you know, and he was killed by a drunk driver and, you know, didn't come back from spring break. And that really affected me. And I think seeing people that have been hurt one way or another through exposure to drugs and alcohol. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm a very quick decision maker. It started again in sixth grade by reading one chapter and knowing that this would be detrimental to my future. I'm like, all right, I don't need that to be happy. You know, a lot of people, drugs and alcohol is an escape. And for me, I'm happy in the present. And I like to remember the present versus numbing the past, if that's a good way to phrase it. And so some people would be like, oh, I had so much fun last night. You were partying, this, that, and other. I'm like, they can't even remember what they did. That, that makes no sense to me. You know, I'm like, I like to have great ways to be in touch with my friends, to, to have solid memories without those aids and without escaping reality. So I think that's a conversation to be had, especially with high schoolers. Are they doing it to fit in? Are they doing it to be cool? Are they doing it because they're too nervous to be around their friends socially? What is that reason that they feel the need to go do X, Y, and Z? I didn't ever have that reason. I'm like, I'm good. Like I'm happy with myself. People aren't judging me. I don't feel like I need to fit in any other way. I have things to do. I'm working out at 7 a.m. tomorrow. I'll see you tonight for a little bit, like however it works out. But that's those were my priorities. At the end of the day, on the priorities. Now, jumping back for a moment, I know you mentioned that in sixth grade, you were 5'11". You know, you were growing three inches. <laughs> like, how did you settle in that skin? How did you get confident in that skin? Because there are some young ladies and even guys, but certainly young women who are they're tall early and they're certainly taller than boys most of the time. And let's yeah. say they want to hunch over when they walk, they're not as comfortable. They want to be smaller. So to be six, six in the walk in that skin or five, 11 in, in, yeah. in the sixth grade, how did you maintain the confidence and self-esteem or where did it come from? Right. 
Great, great question. And I always talk to girls, it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to tell you that, you know, not the truth. And the truth is, it's going to be hard initially. So for me, sixth grade was probably the toughest year. But I had great friends. You know, I had friends that despite basketball, that's another great conversational piece is that whatever you do shouldn't justify your comfort within yourself. So some people may say, Oh, didn't basketball help you feel comfortable being tall? I'm like, I guess it could have, but that's not a good reason to justify being comfortable being tall because what if that was taken away from me? I want to be comfortable being in my own personality. I want to be comfortable having my own interests. I want to be comfortable because I'm a dynamic, interesting person, not because I'm tall and I'm good at, you know, putting the ball in the hoop that doesn't justify who I am. So as much as finding sports does develop confidence, which I think is absolutely beautiful. And it certainly did for me. I really, really believed in uh, my values. I believed in my passions. I mean, I love art. I love music. I love nature. There's so much more to me that defines who I am as a person. I will say having mentors is key. So I had a seventh grade teacher. She was six, six and her boyfriend, <laughs> he was six, eight. Um, so they both came into my life at a very pivotal time at seventh grade. And how I saw her, she was a science teacher and she was our basketball coach. So I saw her very, very smart, great at delivering content in the classroom, but then she was super athletic and she would come out in the basketball court and I'm like, I want to be like her, you know, like being able to do it all and be great at it and just very dynamic. And then her boyfriend, like super athletic, aggressive in practice, like pushed us so hard. And my parents were great at the time, um, but just having an outside person that replicates that, which you potentially want to become. And then I became, you know, looking up to role models, someone like uh, Lisa Leslie or Gabrielle Reese or these tall, athletic, you know, well-rounded athletes. And I think it's important to look outside of the home. The home should be a good foundation, but encourage kids to find people in their social circles that they see during the school day, whether it's a teacher, a coach, a friend, somebody that they can look up to. Um, It could be a friend who's a little bit older. I had seniors when I was a freshman in high school, I had seniors who are close friends and they were 6'2", six, 6'3", six, not 6'6", six, six, but <laughs> Still not six, um, six. <laughs> they tried. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was awesome. I mean, just having those people in my life really helped, too. So you mentioned, um, well, you mentioned about your youth earlier. And so I'm trying to stay in that area. But, like, how do, um, do you feel about the scope of the youth athletics? And how has it changed over the years? And where do you think it's going? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, especially pertinent to the time we're in. And I think, ironically, it became more similar to how it is now, even before COVID-19. What I mean by that Mm. is technology, you know, the exposure to talent through virtual communications. If you look at websites like Huddle or NCSA, scouting, uh, recruiting companies, not that all athletes are going that route, But I played AEU. We won nationals. We produced, I think, five or six WNBA players. Really big deal to be the best team in the entire United States for your age group. With that being said, is it required a ton of travel, a lot of downtime, a lot of going back and forth, just the sheer amount of time commitment. So the overall scope and and kind of trend I see is limiting overhead in time, increasing efficiency and competition. And that can be done more from home or more locally. And then you can allocate more time for the weight room, you know, things that you wouldn't actually have time for if you committed to an entire AU season. Um, So I think it's for the better, but the piece we're missing right now is social interaction. 
I mean, being a student athlete during COVID-19, I can only imagine, my brother has two little kids, so I actually do know very closely (laughs) how they're handling it, Um, but it is challenging. I mean, they have pent up energy. They just want to compete. They're extremely competitive and they just want to go at it and try to get a win. You know, they're missing that that matchup piece. So technology has allowed us to stay connected during this time. It has allowed us to do virtual training, which I do provide student athletes, whether it's yoga, weight room, cross training, ball handling skills, like all that stuff you can do from home. Um, It's made coaches more aware of, Hey, how can we get in front of these talent without having to travel, you know, and just being more connected through obviously NCAA rules adherent, but whether it's phone calls, text, video, everything can be consolidated to one website and being able to assess that from the standpoint of scalability. So I think things are becoming more scalable. Um, Things are more exposed in a good way. But at the same time, we have to be careful because some things can be contextual. You know, if you make a highlight reel, that doesn't depict the whole story of a game. You know, and the outcome might have been a W, but we only caught the good spots and, you know, the spots where someone had turnovers or didn't have, you know, the assist that they needed, all those things can really be captured real time. So it's a cost benefit analysis of being disconnected and connected in nature. Um, Overall, technology can help us, I think, as long as we don't lose track of the social interaction piece and the bigger picture of the intangibles. You know, I measure how many times a kid gives their teammate a high five. I measure how many times the kid smiles at their head coach and says, thank you when they get corrected versus shaking their head and stomping their feet and walking off the court. You know, you might not capture that on a video highlight reel, but I know like our Stanford coaches, when they go out scouting or recruiting, they look for the intangibles. Numbers can only take an athlete so far. So that is the danger of technology. Um, We have to be aware of what things are present when the presence is not known. That makes sense. Absolutely. Super quotable moment too. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say, you know, and you talk about, you know, or mention working with young folks. And I know, you know, in understanding the landscape of youth sports, what inspired you to, you know, to pay more attention, you know, to that, uh, to that particular group? And what do you see happening, you know, for that group in the future? Honestly, student athletes, sixth through ninth grade, always love working with them. I've been an athletic director before. I've coached boys and girls fifth grade all the way through varsity in my past years. Um, Right now, I'm focusing primarily on the yoga, the weight room, the nutrition. What I see is a huge volume of change. What I mean by that is progression. I personally transformed my game between sixth grade and ninth grade. I developed a three-point shot, a left-hand hook shot, mid-range game. I played a two, three, four, or a five by the time I was a freshman in high school. And most six, five people at that time were not that versatile. I came into Stanford. I think I was one of two post players that shot threes. All the rest, they were back to the basket, sit on the block plow through people like that, you know, (laughs) nothing wrong with that. I was like, I can be more coach. (laughs) So for me, the versatility piece was huge. And I think it's like sixth grade through eighth grade, you see such a change in skill development. You see a change in mental maturity. You also see a change in awareness of what I need to do to make myself different than my teammates so that I can Mm. obtain a college scholarship. So a lot of times athletes will come in and they're like, oh, I'm the best so-and-so at my high school. And I say, well, who does your high school play? And then say, who does your AU team play? And they're not playing the best talent in the world, let alone like the United States. And so the moment they realize that they have so much more room to grow, I love working with that group to get back to your question is that age range is so impressionable. They have so much work to do. And if they're willing and if they desire to do so, 
you know, the sky's the limit. So it's just fun because they're hungry. You know, they're hungry to learn. They have so much ahead of them. And a lot of kids come in and they know exactly what they want for themselves. I always tell parents, you can't have a kid that you just want it for them. You have to have a child that comes to me and says, I want this for myself. What do I need to do? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And that was me as a kid. I would go to my coaches and say, coach, be real with me. Like, tell me what I need to work on. I don't care. Yeah, give me that. So (laughs) I need to work on my ball handling. I'll be a point guard. Cool. I'll work on it. (laughs) So a question then, what would you tell other athletes that actually have um, a problem with their coach when it comes to, because usually it just comes down to communication, not being able to communicate and express themselves, but they feel that they have the talent to be able to, um, to be the best player, but they, they hold back because they fear that the coach is going to um, scold them for being able to, you know, use their imagination and think outside the box to, to get to their point of being excellent. Like what made you say, coach, like, Mm-hmm. Even if I don't like you, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. I can express myself so well. I've worked on my three-pointers. I've worked on my, my dribbles. Uh, do, do you do the work first and then come to them um, and present your resume? Or do you or do you just um, ask them for the opportunity and then prove along the way? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the place I'll start is for kids not to be afraid of constructive criticism. And I always tell kids, the more a coach is talking to you, the more highly they think of you. And I say talking loosely because it might be (laughs) yelling, encouraging, reprimanding, however you want to phrase it. But I think the misinterpretation of feedback is the biggest challenge to confidence. So especially, I'm going to be very honest, coaching boys and girls, this might sound stereotypical, but I can say it as a female because I am one. Um, someone like a female might take it more personally that if a coach reprimands me or fixes what I'm doing or corrects my behavior, I'm not a good person or I'm not doing my job or I, I need to be a, become a better teammate. It's not about that. It's just right and wrong. You either closed her out on defense or you didn't. It's that simple. You know, we're going to work on your footwork so it's done properly. You know, it's kind of crystal clear. So I think the fear of feedback, the fear of being corrected actually holds a lot of athletes back. And also overconfident. So it's one way or the other. Either someone's too afraid to get feedback or they're overconfident and they're not, they're closed down and they're not willing to receive feedback. So you have to be right in the middle. You have to say, I'm confident enough to deliver what I know I've done every single game for the last six years, but I also realize I have room to change, I have room to grow, I have places I need to go to become a better player. So what is that happy medium? And I've coached players on both ends of the spectrum. And I've coached players that are right down the middle. And the ones that are right in the middle, that's who you want at the end of the day. You want someone that knows what they do and they do it well, but they're also open to progress and change. So for someone that doesn't get along with their coach, it starts within. I mean, what's going on inside their own head that's not allowing them to be on the same page with the coach. Mm. Now, there are difficult coaches. We've all had them. Not, <laughs> you know, let's just be honest about that. And that's, that's where, you know, an athletic director comes in. That's where a parent comes in. You know, as much as parents shouldn't be helicopter parents, um, you know, those conversations should be at home because the child has no other outlet and it's not healthy to hold things in. You know, and some coaches do favor players at times, or they make decisions that are, you don't know why. There's no reason for them. Um, So clarification in those circumstances, I always tell athletes, go to the athletic director. You know, have someone outside that you're comfortable talking to and open up the dialogue and then have a three-way meeting with the three of you. Just sit down 
And as a sixth grader, that's hard to do. I mean, I, you're, you're not an adult yet, you know? So it's not, it's a high expectation essentially. But the moment I was able to get to that point of being okay with all feedback and I was also okay saying, Hey, look, I got this three point shot, hit me at the top of the key. I'm going to put it down. Like that's, that's the level of confidence you need. <laughs> Heck yeah. So, I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Cool. So I know as we kind of, you know, near closing out a bit, I ask you, so you mentioned, you know, you talking to your coach and being involved and working with athletes on each spectrum, you want the one right in the middle. So given that there may be some younger athletes that may end up watching this or the other pros that may be watching this in, in your position or wanting to be where you are right now, what advice would you give to the younger version of you, right? Is there anything that you would speak back to and go, hey, X, Y, Z, A, B, C? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would say definitely trust your journey, you know, and what I mean by that is everyone's going to have adversity. Everyone's going to have curveballs. Everybody's going to have some kind of change in path. You have to realize that the journey you're on today may not be exactly where you're going to be tomorrow. And, you know, I've experienced change in my life where it's like, all right, well, rewrite the script. What am I going to do next? And that's a, that's really a reflection of resilience, perspective, innovation, and flexibility, you know, and I think being okay with being in the unknown is also important. As much as you're proactive, you're hardworking, and I'm not saying sit back in those situations. I'm definitely one to be tenacious. I'm definitely one to figure out a plan. As soon as something transpires, it's like, all right, that happened. What's next? Let's go do it. But take time in that process. You know, don't be distraught. You know, if you get injured, thankfully, I missed one practice in four years at Stanford, which is very rare, and that's for a common cold. Um, pretty amazing track record. I've never been injured majorly. I missed uh, one practice in the pros for rolled ankle. Um, so I have a really good track record with those type of adversity situations. But, you know, other life adversity, you're going to have times where you have to switch your journey, right, or shift your journey. So that is the advice I would give my younger self is trust your process, trust your journey, and just stay true to yourself because ultimately you're on your own ride. I mean, you're going to be uh, yourself for wherever you go. You're, you know, your train ride is for the rest of your life and you got to figure out which train ride you're on and, and create your own script. You know, at the end of the day, it's your own movie and, you know, every sentence, every word you're putting it together and that's a choice. You know, every day is a choice, how you train, how you eat, how you live your life. That's a daily choice. And ultimately you create your own story because of your choices. So when you trust your own journey, that's in your control. And then the last part I would say is don't try to control things out of your control. Look at the things that are within your control and don't allow your energy to be zapped because it's trying to go too many places at once. Focus on the things that are immediately in front of you that are within your reach and that you can change every single day. And then the bigger picture unfolds as a result of that too. Uh, thank you for sharing that. That was amazing. Hey, Prince, any final thoughts or words that you had before we get out of here? Um, yes, my final thoughts and words are always bringing it back to, um, this is one of those, those deep questions. If you had to sit one of your loved ones down and you had, you were planning on being deceased the next day and next 24 hours, what would you tell them or what would you want them to know? It could be your younger self. It could be your, your, your parents, your friends, um, you know, someone that's close to you, but what would you, what would you do when you sit them down in that moment? And what would you say to them? Yeah, that's Just about life. Yeah. 
<clears throat> that's definitely very deep, very powerful. Um, the first word that comes to mind is appreciation. You know, when you when you care about someone or anyone you've affected positively in your life, you do it because you want to help them. But essentially, you appreciate them and they appreciate you. So reciprocity in the sense of appreciation is contribution, is impact, and that is identity. For me, I do what I do because I know there's going to be an outcome that makes someone's life better. And as cliche as that sounds, I would not be happy if I was in a line of work that didn't impact people. Like if I didn't make someone's life better because of the actions that I took or the way that I shifted their decisions so that their life became more efficient, better, happier, longer, they achieved their dream that they wanted because of my efforts, that is the purpose of life. So I'm going to start with the word appreciation. I appreciate you. If I could say two or three words to someone when I thought I might not see them tomorrow, that's exactly what I would tell them is I appreciate you. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so very much, Carolyn, for taking this time with us. Are there any final thoughts that, that you have or how can people learn more about you, find out about the service, services that you offer as well? Where can they locate you and learn more of you? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is fitforlivinglife.com. That's fit for living life. And it's all spelled out in words. And you can also Google Carolyn Moose and Moose is M-O-O-S. My email is c.moose, M-O-O-S, at stanfordalumni.org, c.moose at stanfordalumni.org. And any questions student-athletes have, parents, I work with everybody. You know, like I said, I work with pregnant mothers. I work with corporate weekend warriors. But my heartbeat, student-athletes. Absolutely love them. As you said, sixth through ninth graders looking to go to the next level. And there's nothing better than giving back to our next leaders, for sure. Amazing. Thank you so very much, Carolyn. So if you have a student athlete that's looking uh, to go to the next level or simply be a better version of themselves, Carolyn's where you should be looking as well as pregnant mothers and all those out there just looking to build their nutrition and who they are, look no further uh, than Carolyn Moose. Thank you so very much for spending time with us here, you know, a game by game beyond the game. And those of you who are watching, remember to continue to stay tuned with us as we help those share stories and continue to teach you how to survive and thrive in your game beyond the game. Hey. Have a good one, y'all. <laughs> Have a good one. Thank you so much, Caroline. Have a good one. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new show is posted. And please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about our events, courses, and other programming, check out GameBeyondTheGame.com. Thanks so much for listening. Peace.